Um, I'm really, really happy to have Vanessa Bob here. Uh, welcome to the Autism Podcast. Thank you for having me. So today we're going to talk about uh, all things ethnicity, culture, stigma and autism. Mm-hmm. So it's a really, really important episode. There's lots of issues and, and potentially a lot of solutions or not solutions, but steps forward perhaps that we can... I suppose just talking about it openly without anybody yeah. feeling that they're being um, cut down. Because sometimes yeah. people, when you use that word black or Asian, people think automatically you're being racist when really what it is is that sometimes we need to call it out for what it is if we don't see somebody that looks like us in the crowd mm-hmm. it's important that we should be able to just say look we're not being represented here yeah. and I think some people feel offended when they use that word black autistic person or the black community Asian community or even Turkish community for whatever reason they just mm-hmm. feel it's not needed but when you look around do you see BME in your organisation do you see BME in your audience so don't use that word just to bring the audience if they're not there. Yeah, exactly. So that's yeah. from my perspective when yeah. you're looking at communities. Definitely. So yeah, definitely we should get into that. Uh, first question, though, just to sort of um, get the listeners to sort of understand a little bit more about you and your journey. It's just, if you don't mind, just talking to us about your own personal autism journey and sort of how you got into what you do because you do so much <laughs> obviously we... I try not to <laughs> <laughs> but you do still so. <laughs> I get roped in <laughs> um okay so where, did, where did it all begin I would say it began um I suppose starting back I worked for um a tv company I won't say it and at the time I wouldn't have even noticed my son's behavior as seen as um, uncontrollable, as people used to tell me. Because before that, he was just a very quiet baby, but I noticed there was a lot of... I would say there were signs of him being on the autistic spectrum. He had the traits, but people used to say it was just a boy being a boy, slow, delayed. What, age, what age was he at this point? Two, three, because mm. I was now more understanding. I was, he was nonverbal, but I think what I should should say is that he didn't pronounce his words. It was more like grunting. Um, and when he grunted, I, I remember certain family members we used to you know, say, what's wrong with him? So it was because he sucked his finger. So stop getting him to suck his finger. Let's put pepper on his, you know, on his thumb yeah. so that he could, you know, maybe that was get him to speak. Or when I cut his hair before he was two, that's why he wasn't talking. Um, take him out of the buggy. He just run off, run across the road. You know, he didn't have no fear of danger. No fear of danger, limited eating. He was still in his nappies to the, end, to the age of five to a point in the night time. Um, he, had a, he had a crave more for toast and more toast. He could go like three loaves of bread a day. People just used to think it was me spoiling him. But I noticed certain people, which I understand now, is that if he bu- when you build a relationship with any child, they were warm to you. But with my son at the time, I remember that if he went with certain people, he didn't want to go to certain people's houses, he didn't want to eat certain food. Again, it was always blamed on me. But the day, what happened, how I came about autism, was when one day I got a call from a school. By then, I got my son into an independent school because I was told that they dealt with um, children with challenging behaviour. And by then, he must have gone into three different primary schools, a nursery school, primary school. He got in. Within the first week, they came complaining about his behaviour. For me... I didn't really understand what they were talking about. I just knew that that was my son and I just learned how to cope. By then I ended up getting, um, took him out of the independence. I think it was, I can't remember what it was. But either way, he got assessed and I remember the speech and language words were, she feels that he may have ADHD. For me, I didn't see it as no label. I just needed to know how I could help my child because everywhere he went, he was a child that wasn't getting invited to birthday parties. I noticed that when people used to see him, he made a comment, say, oh, it's, that, it's that, that child again. And then when you've got children saying those sort of things again, it starts to make you feel, oh my gosh. But remember, this is not just in the school. This has been in the church community. This has been amongst family. No matter where I went, I just keep on hearing about, can't I control my child? So you were getting a lot of judge, negative judgments It was constantly, and yeah. And it yeah. was like, because I worked in TV, it was like, I don't spend enough time with him. So I changed my job, then I went to South, I was just saying now, Southwest Trains. And I think that's where it all changed. And I always remember it was like 2007. And I remember at the time, 
my daughter, the youngest one, must be about two. And there was, my friends said that when, at the time when I was married, my, my partner, husband at the time, picked up Nathaniel and for some reason he never wanted to go back to my friend's house. And it, it took me a while to think, why is he doing this? It's like every time somebody different can change, his whole, if somebody says something, he'll take it literally. Even though he's not very, he wasn't very good with his words, but the behaviour was just erratic, aggressive, uncontrollable. And in the end, it's only when he got to this speech and language, that's when um, they did a referral, but I was, gonna t- I was told it was going to take two years. But I was like, oh gosh, I, I can't wait that long, you know? What, what year is this? What, what this was 2006, 2007. Okay. But I still got all the letters, mm. and I think at the time, I don't think my youngest was born yet. So and you're, you're in South London, aren't you? I'm in South yeah. London. Yeah, yeah. And I remembered when my son did get into a this independent school, it was 2007, because I remember my daughter obviously wasn't even one then. And I remember all I got was, Can you come and get your son? I'm like, what? When I got this, said, oh, he jumped on the girl's back and he just keep him laughing. And when we asked, why did you do it? He doesn't know. And that's where I called up the, um, at the time, it was Dr. Keane, Janine Webb from St. George's Hospital, the pediatric for the children's ward. And I said, um, do you know when, how quick we can get a, a, him assessed for um, ADHD? And... The nurse said, well, what we will do, we'll call you back because there's a, you know, there is a waiting list. Then for some reason when I called, they said, oh, just to let you know somebody's dropped out, you can come, you can come this week. So if I don't, I don't think if I got that diagnosis, I think it would be taking longer for my son to get a diagnosis. Because all, autism diagnosis. I think it would have oh, taken right. longer. But what happened, mm. we got into this meeting and all I remembered, anybody that knows um, St. George's Hospital, my son was in there and at the time he was asking all the questions and you know, going back into history. And I think it's easier to assess a child when it comes to, to a diagnosis of autism, ADHD, when they're younger than when they're older. Definitely. Because you've got to try and remember all those little milestones. And all I can remember, my son was on this rocking horse and this rocking horse, he was just going so fast and the nurse was looking, she was assessing, asking all the questions. And then she was like, okay, we'll, we'll get back to, you know, she asked him questions, but he couldn't pronounce the words. And I, and I remembered people used to say, oh, it's because of him sucking his finger. No, it wasn't. It was that he, it was delayed speech. How old is he at this point? He was five. Okay. He was five, mm. four, mm. five, yeah, about five. And I, and I always remember I came out and I felt like a, a weight was off my shoulder, but I still didn't have a diagnosis. And I think... A week later, I got a letter saying that um, I still got it. Your son, basically Nathaniel, is got a diagnosis of, um, of autism and um, ADHD. And then there was all these little things that was in there. So again, when you're a parent, it's either you want to accept it or you don't want to accept it or you want a second opinion. I didn't tell a lot of people at the beginning because I wanted to see their behaviour, how they, they were towards him. But what I noticed that when I went, got invited, the one thing I can say, and I have to thank St. George's Hospital at the time, it was Janine Webb and Dr. Keane was, automatically they said, here's some information that you can go to. Some people say, we don't get nothing. I got something. But when I read the information, I went to a lot of the organisation. I think that was my first point of call when I met, took part with the National Autism Society Early Birds. And when I went, I always noticed that I was always the only black person. And I, was, I came very Google mad. So when people talk about me always being on social media, and that was a comment that was always made, and I noticed that was in my files, I spent too much time on social media. It was because I couldn't find no information that could help me. You know, at the time, if you look back 12 years ago, Google autism, if it was in America, mm. and if it was about autism within the black Asian community, it was always mainly probably celebrities that were talking about autism. But people pretty up autism. They don't talk about the things that people don't want to talk about. So when you, all right, I do respect when autistic people say, don't talk about the negativity, you know, like showing pictures and talking about these things, but sometimes things can be done in a very careful way. And with me at the time, I, to show that there was no um, fabricating the truth, I used to record my son when he was younger, before I ever knew he was autistic. And I would love to know that I could have time 
to find that footage to show what he was like because people denied that he was doing the cook, the kicking, the biting, the not sleeping. Oh, he doesn't do that with us. You sure it's because now that I'm divorced now, you sure it wasn't because he, he picked up some behaviours from the dad because the dad wasn't, you know, he wasn't English born because he's Jamaican. So I used to get, keep getting constantly, it's because the dad came from Jamaica, why he acted that way. No, it was nothing to do with that because... Mm-hmm. And you're the Jama- you're Jamaican. No, my my mum is Guyanese and my dad is a Reuben, but my dad passed away um, two years ago. Oh. So for me, it's okay. But for me, no matter who I went to, it was they just saw a gorgeous little baby, pretty little baby, nothing wrong with him. He's just being misunderstood because he's in a broken home. And I think when people talk about mixed race and in the community. We have to talk that autism, oh, so mixed race isn't just about black and white. It could be a different community that come together. And I can say the cultural dynamics of what happened to me was that when people saw my son, it was quick for people to blame and say, oh, it's because there's a cultural difference because my, my partner spoke Jamaican. No, it wasn't because he didn't really speak that in the house. All right, when he's with his friends, he spoke Patois, but in the home, he didn't do it. And when he did, I was still like, I don't understand you. But when it came to being in the family, home, friends and family, I knew that I had to always keep my eye on my son. And even though he had that diagnosis, and once I said to everybody, my son is autistic, that's why I saw the difference of people's attitudes towards me. It was like, I wasn't allowed to talk about it. Or if I went somewhere, you can come, but make sure you hold on to your son. Oh my God. (laughs) So you, I mean, you really victim to all sorts of terrible stigma there. I mean, I, know, I noticed that you said that you felt a weight off your shoulder when you got the diagnosis, oh, yeah. but presumably because, correct me if I'm wrong, because you thought, you know, this is something that can prove that it isn't me, all those negative judgments, yeah. you know I mean, that you were getting from the community, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it probably was like very reassuring mm-hmm. and validating, right, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, nothing to do with, you, you know, it, it just is what it is. It is right? what it is. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, uh, but then you said that you felt you you didn't want to sort of reveal it initially. Pro- no. Again, possibly because you were concerned stigma. about the, the reaction. Yeah, the stigma. And then when you did ev- eventually reveal it, it got worse. you did experience <laughs> a stigma. So you were sort of... It, it got worse. It, right to be cautious. It was worse than what it was at the beginning. Before, it was like it was contained because he was younger. And I think what parents, regardless if you're black, white, Asian, doesn't matter where you're from... Getting the diagnosis is important in a sense, especially when they're in the education system. Because my journey, as I said, when people don't... Because somebody actually said to me, or somebody came back and said, Vanessa, people don't get you. I don't want nobody to get me. Because I know when I'm in my home, my home is, is, my home is meant to be my castle. I used to say to somebody, I felt I was living in hell. Because when you go back into their home, you know that it's going to their house where your child wanted to strip off. And you can let people come into your house, especially when... And I always say to everybody, and I know people don't like me to say it, is I was a survivor to domestic abuse and childhood sexual abuse. So when my son is walking around the house half naked or seemed inappropriate to people to get his clothes on, he felt safe that way. But it took him to go into residential school to come home that now he won't do it. So again, it's about if people accept the diagnosis, even if somebody doesn't believe it's autism, but... Give it a try when it comes to the interventions. So it's always going back to when he got that diagnosis. It took me from... He got diagnosed in 2008. But prior to that, I got letters where I used to write to the GP and the GP was giving me papers about my parenting, going to parenting workshops. It wasn't parenting workshops, it was... um, The GP was doing this? Yes, I I still got the letters. I still got the letters. You know, this is what they were sending to me. They told me that... um, what they picked up on his behaviour, what was coming back, the assessment was that he didn't have no diagnosis of anything. It was basically looking at my strategies at home, my parenting skills. There was things like, at the time when there was an incident with my son, social services seemed to keep on looking at that there was a conflict of interest between me and my, my ex-husband now, is that because of the, there was a lack of communication between the two of us, that's what was triggering my son's behaviour. So when I talk about social services, it's not that I'm I'm disrespecting the professionals, it's Anybody can do a training workshop, but if you don't have a relationship, one, when it comes to what autism is, two, when it comes to the family dynamics, three, when it comes to if the people are um, from a different ethnicity and they don't look like you, 
just because you've got a friend that is from another community doesn't mean that you understand the family dynamics unless you live in it. And what professionals don't understand, and even some autism groups or any group, autistic people can be- are can become adults, well not become, what's that word, that's the wrong word. <laughs> autistic children become autistic adults, just as well as becoming elderly. So everybody focuses on the autistic child. Yeah. So when you look at the Autism Act, it took me only, if I wasn't part of the National Autism Society, I would not know about what the policies are out there. I would just listen to what these autism groups tell me. Unless you are part of what's going in the bigger picture. Like, it took me a while to realise that there's an autism act that was formed in was it November two thousand and nine, mm. and imagine that was for the autism act for adults. Mm. Now, when somebody says, "Did that make any changes for autistic adults?" I would say, "No, it didn't," because imagine two thousand and nine is when my two thousand eight my son was diagnosed. Two thousand and nine, the autism act came in for adults. Two thousand and nineteen, we're in. In November 2019 is going to be the Autism Act where they're going to include the Children's Act. So imagine that for 10 years that everyone's fighting to say what works for autistic people or adults, but the resources were there, the information was there, but the local authorities, the statutory organisations, they weren't implementing that in adult social services. So now we've got these children now growing up in 2019 where the resources are still not there. And then you've got the autistic adults coming out saying... This is not right. Then you've got the black and Asian autistic people saying, this is not right because you're not representing us. So I feel at the moment the autistic community is a very messed up community because everybody now is trying to claim what they're saying is right. But there's no right, there's no wrong because we're not all coming together. And I think that is what I've picked up on over the last 10 years of fighting for my son to see that at 16 now... And to look at my daughters, which which I always talked about my son all the time, and always just said, siblings need support too. It took 10 years for my youngest one, who's, who's 13, to be diagnosed with autism, ADHD and epilepsy. But the only reason why she ended up getting that diagnosis was when she was in year six, they put her in a pupil referral unit, a part-time. And it, again, it had to be little triggers for certain things to make me act towards what was happening. And I think if anyone wasn't proactive to the little things that were happening to me, I would have just been like everybody said, oh no, she's copying her brother. No, she's not. The behaviours are different. So with me, it's I'm dealing with a community where it's it's dealing with a diagnosis for my son, fighting that battle of him getting the right support. Then it was looking at the siblings. Then it was looking at my well-being. But when you're for any parent, regardless if you're a couple, a single parent... I feel they all have the same struggles because you can always have where the father may say, there's nothing wrong with the child, it's you. Or you're going to get the mother, no, it's not me, it's you. Or you're going to have it when it's the family dynamics of there's cultural differences, religion, faiths, is that they start blaming each other's families. Well, it must be your blood. No, it's not our blood, it's your genes. You sure it's not because of uncles, your uncles like that. So I always hear when I get to the community... So much blame, so much yeah, finger pointing. And I think general. that's the advantage with me because... When I went every there, I was always the only black person there. As time's grown on, I see more prominent um, autistic um, individuals, autistic people coming out. And when you hear their stories, they get it. But we're not hearing those stories. We only hear it when all right, Autism Voice had their autism in the BME last year where you came and spoke. Um, I think what needs to happen now, it needs to be the voices from the autistic black community to speak now because we're, all we're seeing at the moment is women are coming up now speaking about their journey. So the woman's been diagnosed because she found similarities of her son. That once the son's been diagnosed, oh, I've noticed that I must have that and that's happened with the men. Then you have a lot of the, when it comes to the black boys in particular, again, people don't like that word black, but black boys are, was it the disproportionate? They're the ones that are being mistreated in a way. And I can say from my experience, I didn't have no problems with growing up with my children. The problem I had is that once my son had a diagnosis, Nobody wanted you to accept it. And that's the difference. They just saw this, once he started speaking, very very articulate, very bright boy, loved computers. But it shows, again, they were focusing on the academics. But with him, it took me to realise that he memorised a lot of his work. So when they say, oh, he was doing really bright, change his timetables, he'll get 0 out of 40. Put it in order, he'll get 40 out of 40. Mm. So what people don't realise is sometimes we over publicised academics of the autistic child. I've seen the damage when you speak to a lot of autistic adults where they say, because what our parents did to us young, 
they end up down the mental health path. I don't want to talk about ABA because I know it's a it's a big issue. Again, I've heard a lot of autistic people said my parents believed ABA worked for me. I've got PD is it PTSD now? PTSD, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Again, when I hear people give me their preference of what works for their child, I always say, have you spoken to an autistic person? Mm. You can't, if you've never lived it. So like, again, being a black mother is, if you've never lived my life, if you've never lived as a black person when it comes to discrimination, you can't turn around and speak for me. And I think that's what is the problem, I think, with a lot of organisations when they use that word BME or black and Asian community is that you can't speak unless you live it. But even if you see somebody that represents us, doesn't mean that they are representing mm. us. Because sometimes they're just ticking the boxes. Mm. And I know that is what's happened to me when I'm in meetings and I'm sitting with all black professionals who's, who claim to know about autism. And I have to sit there sometimes and bite my tongue because they say things that are very culturally biased. So what people need to understand is that when you've got an autistic child, regardless of where they, whether they're black or white or Asian, you sometimes have to benefit of the doubt and listen to what they've got to say. Again, sad to say, when it comes to the black community, when it comes to um, inst- um, situations like mental health, prostate cancer, um, the criminal justice system, when it comes to black boys, you know, with gun crime, knife crime, um, everybody comes out when it comes to the death, but when it comes to the actual the solutions, nobody's coming together. Everybody stays defragmented they don't want to come together for whatever reason if we can all come together well, why is it that when I do my events I could go into a white organisation and say look we've got a lot of BME clients customers professionals we need a voice we need someone to speak doesn't mean that I'm going to always put myself there so when people say Vanessa you're everywhere yes I am everywhere but it's only because I've been given a, a few different hats so sometimes I could be a second voice sometimes I could be with um, the Cassandra Centre when it comes to domestic abuse because there's what people don't realise again there's women men out there who have been sexually abused as children and they grow up without that support imagine you're seeing something on television and if they're autistic and they've not told nobody they're autistic and they know they've got a diagnosis they probably get a trigger they get a trigger to what they've, they've witnessed or if it's been suppressed and they never spoke about it and then they get into a relationship undiagnosed they watch something on tv they get a flashback they may get into a a panic attack where they may lash out for whatever reason and they end up may take somebody's life or they may do something that is inappropriate is it because the support wasn't put in there so being part of the cassandra center i've able to come in with my own experience as a, as a, a survivor or overcomer to abuse that when there's a woman that comes through the door mother and she says my daughter or my son is autistic, but I don't want to tell anybody because social services may think that what has happened to me, it's gone on to my children wrong because there's some mothers who've, who've had a best life, but that child can still exhibit the same behaviour of the aggression. The aggression. So being in an organisation where I am get a chance to move around, I'm able to voice that, so what about autism? Yes, you've got a woman that's been abused. Does she have an autistic child or is she autistic? Mm. And I think... Autism groups, yes, it is all about autism, but we have to look at the holistic approach. Mm. And I think that that's why I think autism groups are important. But when it comes to the BME, because that's what we're meant to be talking about, but as I said, when it comes to the BME community, if there's no representation within your organisation, signpost them to somebody that can speak. Mm. And it's not about ticking the boxes. It's about if it's somebody from the Somali community came to you, and there's nobody in that group that can speak the language. Find something that can do it. I'm interested, if you don't mind, on... on um, gosh, there's so much to pick up on. I oh, know, I've been yeah. through a lot. <laughs> the, so, I mean, obviously, one of the big things you talked about there, one of the se- several big things, was this issue of professional stigma. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you've really had a tough time with stigma from all different angles, but including professionals as mm-hmm. well. Uh, and you mentioned social services a couple of times. What, what is it? How, how do you think um, social services can improve the way they do things, the way they work, the way they communicate with families? Is it is it a matter of um, you know perhaps bringing in people, you know, and learning from those people that have real lived experiences, you know, really enriching training in that way as opposed to mm. you know bog standard tip mm. box training. Or, or what is it? Do you think? Do you think there's any any kind of good, sensible things that they can do? You know, to because they're having potentially massive 
damage you know mm-hmm. if, they're, if they're being stigmatising if they're saying the wrong things yeah if they're um, assumptions if yeah if they've got you know very negative unfounded assumptions it can really ruin them, everything can't it so I think they play potentially okay. critical role what, what do you reckon what's your I would view? say there needs to be some form of um, once a week twice a week where there there's an in-house training where an autistic person specialist that comes in, not a parent of autistic child, because sometimes we can be very emotional. If you are a professional who has got an autistic child and you're bringing something to the social services, I don't think they're being respected because you still got to remember that there is the workload. They're still getting um, challenges when they go home if they've got the children. So again, I've met professionals who... Why I think it's important where every establishment should have an in-house professional support group for people, parents, adults who've got additional needs, children, right, adults. Yeah, yeah. Because imagine with us where we don't get the sleep, we're still fighting the system. So you imagine you've got this professional who've got autistic children or children with special needs that they're not going to no conferences, they're not going to no groups because... Because sometimes you've got to remember that professional parent is going through challenges. So when we look at social services, it's about getting the person within their establishment who may have that special that special interest to autism or any special needs to say, look, this is what works for the, the people that I've worked with. Absolutely. And no, I think you've touched on some really important points. Definitely um, a better understanding of autism, mm. better as, as ability to assess and identify needs, work with families and communicate with other services in a joined up way and work I suppose in a compassionate friendly way join the boxes join the dots but they don't it's I also think probably being culturally competent as well right understanding you know the value and being knowledgeable about different cultures and and understand who who you're going into you know and whoever it is you know whether you're from an ethnic minority Mm. ethnic minority or not if you don't trust the services, if you don't view them as, as on your side and they get you, they understand you, they understand your, where you're coming from, your background, um, they're there to, to sort of help help you. And, and you know, if you, if, you don't, if you don't feel that, then you're going to close up, you're not going to get the potential benefit. And then they judge you by being closed up. And then, yeah, that's right. Then that's right. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. They're still going to judge yeah, you, but yeah, they don't realise yeah. it's because of history. What, what would what would a family potentially do in that situation if they if they don't trust kind of statutory uh, services? Where might they go? Might they go to sort of religious leaders for support or that, community okay. leaders that sort of thing? I mean, you always hear people say things about bad things about church and um, mosques or faith groups, and I and like I said to you earlier, um, people. It's a building, that's one. So no matter where you go, those people are still, regardless if they follow a faith or not, when you go into that establishment, people can discredit the whole church community. I go to church, I don't push my faith into people. One thing I learned at the church that I attend is that the pastor and his wife, they accepted my, my children. They're the ones that were the root of me staying grounded because at first I was very tearful I didn't want to talk to nobody in the end I just felt that everybody was against me and I left one church to come to this church and when I realized that it was that thing is that word that was love that was shown to me so when my son was there kicking the pastor when he was preaching the pastor didn't turn and say oi stop it I'm gonna put my hand on you and pray what he did was say someone can you come and take Nathaniel take him out and he dealt with him in a way where he didn't stop the service I've been places where if it's catholic Churches, people come from mosques. We say we've been told that we're, you know, we've got to remove our child. So to me, it's about educating again. It's about if you are a Sunday school teacher, you're a man for for your mosque. It's about everybody coming together to educate that community. I wouldn't expect me as a Christian woman to go into a mosque and say you've got to do this because who who am I to do that? I have to communicate with again. It's about working along somebody. So if somebody comes to me and says. Um, Vanessa I've gone to this mosque and they've they've told me to leave or they don't understand me I'll say well I know an organization that deal you know with the Muslim community why don't you speak to them and they can help you I know if I'm doing the vet or like researchers come to me I say right why don't you go to Dr Chris you know I I signpost to people but 
Thanks for that. <laughs> I know, you know I do that. No, that's nice. That's but great, what yeah. you find with a lot of people that come to me is they find that some other groups are very standoffish. Mm. What, how, where do you get that? Where do you get that passion from, that drive to really My drive. make a difference, to connect people? Because you're, I mean, you're famously busy. And, Am I? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> yeah, I we haven't even talked about the, actually the organisations like A Second Voice oh. and... Uh, your work with the NAS and um, okay. you know how do I do it? Well, how how do you how do you do all of this? Because you founded a second voice. Maybe do you want to just right. briefly talk a little bit about? All that? right, a second yeah. voice was founded when I say I just remember at the time I didn't see nobody that was like me. I noticed that when I every time when I used to go into some autism groups, it was about curing the autism, the recovery. It was mm. at the time it was the Dan. It was Dr. Wakefield, mm. and it was all this sending the your poo to America for the test for the chemicals. And when I set up a second voice, it was Mark Brown from Special Help for Special Needs was the one with my pastor at the church who turned and said, I feel that this is something that you can do because I gave up the career in filming and editing because I feel I was drained helping everybody. Nobody was helping me. So Mark said, look, I will help you, but make sure that what you do is very different to everybody else because there's too many doing the same. So through that, that's when a second voice was set up. My pastor put my name forward to a... Um, a Christian charity and what they they said was I I mean it was about 5,000 I only applied for 2,500 and the funder came back and said why didn't you do the full amount because what you're doing we love what you're doing well, who's the funder it, it was called Seabed at the time but I don't oh, think right. they're no longer now okay yeah, oh, I've right. been so I, I was I think what happened in the end mm. I started doing it. so for the last Throughout all of this time, I've always applied for seabeds. So right. every year you could do two at a time. So this was where they wanted you to connect with the local community. So you're in the church, but you can connect with other communities. Mm. And that's how I was able to do a lot of the church autism because that was the church funding from well, the religious that's community. Really, that's really fantastic because I know from personal experience it's difficult to, but, uh, to get to apply, to even do the application and then win money. It's very difficult. But this person, yeah. it was that's what they did, and then I would yeah. apply for the local ones. But I felt with the local ones, it was too ticking the boxes. So the one that was for the church community, it means what I put down. So when you saw these things coming outside of the comfort zone, that was the church funding, a church yeah. funder, and then the other one, the ticking the boxes, the the behaviours, that was the ticking the boxes with the statutory funding. Right, right. So and. For me, wow, to, so you got from you pulled from both. So I had one areas. that was for the church, one yeah. that was for the community. So what what was the um, organisation's kind of aims and uh, objectives? What does it do? Do you know what my aims and objective at the time was just to meet <laughs> with other families. But because my background was in television, I started hearing more people. I wanted to get back on film and do little short films. It never happened. But then I started looking at Mark Brown and say, you know, these are the workshops I can do. Then I met Steve and Mitchellis from Sensory Activation Solutions. And they're the two main sources that supported me in autism. I don't remember how I met you on Facebook, but again, I remember, you know, you had all these little codes and kind of, oh gosh, I can't do all these codes and codes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm like a butterfly, you know, I, I just like to know that I can breeze in, breeze out. Yeah, yeah. Um, like great. you said, I'm busy. There's a lot of angry black Asian autistic people out there who are being misrepresented when it comes to cultural dynamics. If somebody's on the news saying, I'm autistic as a white mother, Go to a black autistic mother or an Asian autistic mother. You're going to find it's so totally different. How, how is it different? Like, what would you say? Like, if somebody asked you, how is it different? Like, well, hmm. like I turned around and said to somebody, um, all right, like I spoke to Charmaine, who I met at a conference at University of Kent, where it was all autistic led. And I came, I was asked to come and speak just as a black mother of autistic child mm. and I didn't know what to expect so I just made sure I was very stressed if you look around now I was the only black person there wow. Charmaine when she spoke she was the only Asian woman there and she was diagnosed I think it was three years ago when, I think she was from Bangladesh I think I, remember, I don't want to get it wrong and when I've seen her on Facebook I've seen her around but I never saw her face to face but when I heard her presentation I was blown away but when I heard all the other autistic people you know other white professionals I was blown away. So again, it shows that you're never too old to learn and there's always room for more improvement. Why, again, social service professionals need to be involved. That's why the autistic community are fighting and say, can you listen to us? Because some of them have got solutions that will help de depending on what areas that they're trying to get out to, like women that are pregnant. You know, if a, if a woman is pregnant and she's autistic and undiagnosed, that woman doesn't want you to touch her. Why? 
You know, is she is there something that you've noticed with her? She's lashing out. She doesn't want you to touch her. Yes, she may have had sex to have the baby, but you touching her now, if you're a stranger, all these different people coming in. So I've learned through me having connections with all these autistic people that it's so important that we need that 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 diverse I don't like the yeah. word diverse. We need a variation of community yeah. leaders. Uh, one of my last questions, uh, maybe one of the most important ones, is like, how do we... Because obviously there is a lot of discrimination, there's a lot of stigma, including and maybe in particular in uh, BME communities. So how, how can we, do you think, like, are there any sensible things that BME communities can do um, to, to perhaps, you know, reduce autism stigma, in, improve acceptance... Uh, not just the communities themselves, but perhaps, you know, professionals, you know, any kind of useful solution to reducing the issue of uh, autism stigma. Because obviously autism is still very, very stigmatised, isn't it, across the board? It is. I, I think, I think when you ask me how, how, I think the best way is news is important, social media. So if they've got social media, um, it's making sure the platform is used in a very positive way. So it means that every school, the local authorities, the police station, um, in the waiting room, in the hospital, you always notice that they've got LGBT, they've got um, cancer, domestic violence. Yeah. But when it comes to autism, you never see their posters. You've got autism-friendly events that's happening in October for the 5th and the 12th for the National Society, and people say, that's not enough. I, yeah, it's not enough, but it's starting somewhere. It's about getting... You as the parent say, okay, I'm going to go to my local shop. So it's about us taking control sometimes. We have to do it. We have to be the advocate. But not all of us are strong. Or in that local community, how prominent are they connecting with the local authority? So if you know you are bashing the local authority, which I do in a way, but I do it with a reason. It's the local authorities, the voluntary organisations, they need to know that they can go to the non statutory organisations because they're the ones that may have the families so when you've got all these CCGs the clinical commissioning groups the forums the consultations we are not included in this so even though they've got BME forums they are lacking so it's do these BME organisations have to go out their way to go stand in the shopping centre because sometimes it's not about flies it's about you standing with the iPad and say I've got a bit of a questionnaire do you mind if we can fill it in but when people say oh is it going to make no change the more autistic people, the more BME autistic people that take part, the voices will be heard. People say there's not going to be no change. <laughs> that thing of there ain't going to be no change, if we, have, if we stick with that attitude, there will never be no change. As long as we make some little progress, again, yes, on TV, they've got white autistic women on TV. But again, a lot of the black autistic people have come to me and say, look, that person, good on them, but why can't they put people of colour on them? And I don't like where people of colour, because I'm made of different colours. But when they say people of colour, why isn't it that they're not showing other people? Because there's other well-established... Yes, you've got Stephen Wiltshire, you've got um, Willard Wigard, OBE, who did the, the, the micro-sculptures. You've got Knox Daniel, um, Joshua Beckford, who's mm. 14, that I've known. Yeah. But then... then it gets a bit shady because people are looking at that side of autism. We have to look at the other side of the young boys are, are in the criminal justice system, which is not just black boys, there are white boys as well. Do you think then that there, you know, that there, there's an issue with the criminal justice system in that, oh, yeah. you know, um, autistic people perhaps that have not had the support that they needed or faced a lot of discrimination and problems, mental health problems, sort of fall into the... Uh, yeah, these, these problems. There's probably you know quite a number. It is. Of it, it is. It is people, high. It? Yeah. And the reason why I said I met a woman years ago. I don't know how she got my my details. Called me and said there's a mother whose son at the time was arrested, going to court and got charged by association. And when we unpicked it, she spoke. And what happened was is that friends were the ones that took him somewhere he thought he was going for a smoke not saying that he was smoking he went with his friends because he trusted his friends they knew he was autistic A-level student did really well was going to go into a good job and then all she remembered was that they heard a noise and left him in the house he got got um, held and if I can unpick what I remember was he got stabbed I think eight months before trial to, to silence him Oh, but no. he survived it. These are the stories that people don't hear. And she didn't want to go to The Voice. She didn't want to go to the, the no one. She came to me. and So that's why I said to everybody, when people come to me 
This mother was upset because she said that probation officers didn't understand autism, the prison officers didn't understand autism. I had friends that worked as prison officers and they said, Vanessa, this is what's needed. I wrote to Kenneth Clark QC in 2012, asking how many people are in, in prison that are undiagnosed. And I said, how many are black, how many? They came back with a little excuse. And I noticed that one of the strategies did change in 2014, they said, but on the bigger picture in 2019, things are happening better in regards to the criminal justice system, but I think it's not weaning out to the, the grassroots organisations. My last question, I think, is um, uh, uh, if you if you had a chance to go back mm-hmm. and talk to uh, that Vanessa that you described earlier, in in that you know your son was just diagnosed, it was all new to you. Mm-hmm. You know, you you face a lot of negative judgment, a lot of stigma. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going through a really really tough time. Like, what what advice would this Vanessa give to that Vanessa the reason I ask is because I'm sure there are a lot of people who are listening who are that Vanessa do you know what I mean who are going through that process that early process experiencing a lot of a lot of um, negativity from their community from their support uh, structures supposed support structures doubting themselves you know Mm. maybe really bad mental health and what might what might have what good advice would you give to that person I would say the advice that I would give is if you've been given told that your son or your daughter is maybe on the autistic spectrum, my first thing would get a diary and write down um, the child's triggers, what they do, times, days, who's in the room, what they're doing, what they're eating. Because if you don't have that understanding and when they're interviewing, no, when they're doing the assessment, it's hard, especially when you're doing the EHCP now or the DLA, all these forms, it's hard to look back. So sometimes you just have to become like, you become a professional with your child. So my thing is to take note of what is happening with your child every day until you're at a point where you feel happy so that you understand autism. It's making sure that the people that you trust with your child, you trust them in a sense that you know them enough to know they get it because people say they get your child and when your child starts to resist going to certain places that's a, that's a warning that something has happened you know so it's getting to know your child and don't assume just because they were okay last week that they'd be alright this week and the other one is if you are in a relationship and you're married is it's important that fathers need to um, or mothers as well because sometimes the fathers can be just as where sometimes the mothers can be very standoffish is go together as a couple be involved don't rely on one main carer to do it because there'll be a day when that carer dies or leaves the family home then you're going to see a different struggle so my my advice is get to learn to understand your child don't compare them just appreciate who they are because my son was told that he was going to be a woman beater in the gangs when he was young parents people used to tell it to me yeah people people said horrible things to me about my son so my thing is is if you've got a child who's autistic as a as parents family at least go and listen take some time out as family members have home invite speakers to your home do you know like you do like the tupperware Mm -hmm. do do a autism bring bring a speaker home you know, do a house party where you bring somebody home, get a projector out, get someone to come and speak. One man, one woman, so you can have different perspectives. I think do a Tupperware, but do an autism party at home. I wish I had. I wish I had done that because I'm good at doing events. But I think if I knew then, I, but I never knew that my friends, my family, or people around me would treat me the way they did. But they still don't get it because society is not prepared for autistic people let alone autistic black children let alone autistic adults yeah you know does that yeah. does it make sense oh no you're right yeah we have to keep pushing so it's it's about working. so it's about our children yeah. growing up so your children are young so you know you got you got advantage so i said to anyone who's children are two and three now get together you know form your own little community so that at least if anything happens to you your child knows they've got people that understand and then a lot of these families don't go nowhere they pick where they go and then if they die the adult or that child whatever it is they're just left to social services to just mold something they don't understand so it's always again social services adult social services they're not ready unless they decide that they're going to listen to 
um, organisations that specialise in autism. If they're not interested in the National Autism Society, there's a lot of other organisations out there. And that might be a good uh, segue just to say, uh, don't forget also about the London Autism Group, uh, our listeners, yes. because that's always a good place if you're uh, wanting to connect with people. A little example was from yesterday, actually. Somebody went on the London Autism Group, the Facebook group, and said, you know, I'm a Kiwi, I'm looking for Kiwis. Uh, in London and uh, there were like four or five people that responded saying oh yeah I'm from New Zealand as well you know I mean you can connect so I agree you know go out connect um, you know listen to autistic people find find support where you can find it you have to respect the people that are being proactive so like with you, I know that with me I've got so many people can join in so sometimes I feel I want to just delete a load of groups (laughs) and, and stick to the ones that are doing something because it's not about how many members that you have or how many likes. It's are you making um, changes to that community? And yeah, I think that's what yeah. I'm about. It's about the change of attitude, change of the way you look at somebody. I always say, again, what I was just saying is, if you know with me, I used to do filming, my son, and what you have to do is hide his face. So I think if somebody wants to show something, have the respect to be a bit sensitive to what you put on, on social media of your child when they're older it's different because they say I don't care but when they're younger they will go back and say why did you do that to me yeah, yeah. and if they're non-verbal yeah, how do you think they feel that if they are they may not be able to verbalise but they may see themselves we forget that these autistic children non-verbal who may end up becoming verbal will have a lot to say about that about the person that was damaging as a child and that's oh, what we've got to be very careful very of. true very true you've got to be very careful with with what you share about your child on social media because, you know, that person is, is his or her, her own person. Do you know what I mean? And we've got to, we've got to be um, respecting him or her and, yeah. and uh, think, about, or, think about their dignity. Yeah. Private you know? or no private. It, 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 the foot, digital footprint is there for life. Yeah. And people, yeah. you've seen the damage. Social and, media is And then you've got the, I know it's sad to say, the paedophiles, the vulnerable, the risk, it, it, it's... It's people have to be see it for what it is, and social media is good, but at the same time, it's damaging a lot of families because families are searching for the cure or the recovery or, or normalizing their children, and it is affecting the autistic community. And again, it's all again is that everyone's searching, but what they're searching for something is right on their doorstep. Okay, well, um, is there anything else that you'd like to add or say, or any final thoughts? I just feel that families have to just embrace. I know it's hard. I've been there. I'm going through it now. But you just have to just educate yourself. And if anybody turns around and says that your child's naughty or you notice family members is that, you need to make, you might have to remove yourself. I know it's hard, but sometimes removing yourself because that child is going to be going through a lot of trauma. It's a toxic environment. So... Find people that appreciate your child and appreciate you. Once you're happy, your child will be happy. If you're not happy, your child is not going to be happy. And it's always, again, it's about our well-being first as parents. And if you are a couple, try and find a way of doing family things. If nobody is accepting your child, try and find places that will embrace your child. And that's why I do my groups, which I didn't talk about. It's about family dynamics, that family can come and be themselves. So if a child is kicking, running... I tell people respect that child because that child may not be in the journey as that parent because they've just got the diagnosis. Because mm. some parents can still be very um, hostile to another parent. With me, I've been there, done it, wore the t-shirt, and I know that it's horrible when you've been somewhere and you've been judged to go into an autistic group and still to be judged. So you can't be saying that you're there for the community and you're still judging. So as a parent, respect every parent's way of living. And autistic people have got a voice but sometimes they can't speak for all of us. And that's come back from a lot of other autistic people who are still upset with some autistic people, whether black or white. So it's a very complex community. And, that, and I understand why, because it's this old generation, older generation that are coming up now, and they've been given a voice. And that is because we've got social media. Mm. So that's what the tool is. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Vanessa. Thank Honestly, you. what a lovely way to end it Thank because you. that was such amazing advice Thank and you. it's very uh, I try. sensible, wise words. Um, and thanks, I should say, thanks for all the work that you do Thank and the you, impact that you make. 
despite all the adverse adversity that you face, you know, you still, still you push on and you do it with a smile on your face and you're really inspirational. So uh. <laughs> I'm sure my children say, she gets <laughs> But all children say, and that's the word, never say to a parent, that's what all children do. That, that that really gets to me. Yeah, I've heard that. That's yeah. it. Is oh, yeah. but my child does that, and they're not autistic. Um, okay, take my child for a week. It's very dismissive, isn't it? Yeah, okay, it's, it's, yeah. That, oh, it's it's nothing. That That's is what, it. Yeah, it's, it's get it's over it. Um, yeah, what, what not are you crying? Yeah, they yeah. don't do that with me. Yeah. But the question is, what are you doing? So my thing is respect when a parent says, yeah, "This lift, is what my child is respect doing." And listen. Respect, yeah. listen. If you if you've got something to yeah. say, go away and go say it to somebody else <laughs> yeah. in, in in a private room to say they don't get it. But never ever disrespect another parent. The power of just being you know just being there and listening and lending an ear is immeasurable there's really. not a lot of people yeah. that listen they no. just judge judge yeah. assumptions and let's fix it but they're fixing it wrong big problem thank you thank you so much Vanessa if um, if you like you can learn more about Vanessa's organisation just by googling her name so that's Vanessa that's V-E-N-E-S-S-A Bob B-O-B-B and also I'll um, link in all of the groups and organization she's uh, connected with in the episode description so you can learn more about her her work and her um how to contact her etc through through those links in that description so thank you very much for listening thanks again to vanessa thank you and uh, hope to have you again on another time perhaps. okay <laughs> may I bring my son yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely thank you thanks a lot thank you